And I, as, we're, as they're getting ready, I need a volunteer. I need someone who is uh, brave and courageous and who is, uh, not, who is able to uh, take on a great challenge today. Anybody? I, I, need, I need somebody. Thank you, Connor. Come here. All right. Connor, he's brave. Uh, come stand up here, Connor. This is Connor. Everybody, Connor, say hi. Everybody say hi, Connor. All right, Connor. Now, these are 9-volt batteries. Now, one of these is dead, and one of these is brand new, and I just can't tell which is which. I need some help figuring out which one. Do you know how to test a 9-volt battery? What do you do? You try it out on something. You try it out on something? What is there something that is on your body that you can maybe try it out on without having to try it out on a toy? Your eye? I think that would probably hurt. You know what? You could lick it. You could put your tongue on it, and it gives you a little shock. And if it shocks you, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. So do you want to take a risk and have some courage and find out which one is? is he's like, yeah, sure. Let's go for it. All right, which, let's test one, and, and if it gives you a nice shock, just lick it. Ow. Oh. <laughs> so, I, so you got the good one. So this is going to try that one. <laughs> they're, they're both good. <laughs> Can you still talk? Okay. <laughs> All right, Connor. Maybe it'll keep him from talking later this afternoon. Give him a little. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. Thanks for being brave and, and being strong and having, having courage to do that. I'm always a wimp whenever it comes to testing batteries, and I never want to lick them just because, I don't know, maybe I don't have enough courage, but... We're talking about courage today, and I just was thinking about um, Fear Factor. Did you guys ever see that crazy show where they would do nutty stuff on Fear Factor? And they would break out spiders, and they would have to eat just worms and disgusting things. Um, Well, I I didn't want to do that to any of you today, um, but I'm proud of Connor for being able to lick a 9-volt battery. Good job buddy and being being brave uh, we've been in this series called gospel life and if you got a bible you can turn to chapter four of the book of acts uh, so we're going to be reading that today and as we've been talking about the gospel which is the good news of jesus through salvation that's what the gospel means we've been talking about not just um what what does that mean but how do we live that out how does it what does it mean and how does the gospel affect us in our everyday life? Because sometimes, as we've talked about, people falsely believe that the gospel gets us saved, but then we're kind of done with that, and we're just we go and obey rules and we try to be good Christians. And it's Jesus died us on the died for us on the cross, and so now we're saved, and then we just go try to do good things. Um, but it's not that the gospel is something that we need every day. And we're continually working out our salvation through the gospel and learning what it means to, to live a gospel-centered life. And so we're, we're kind of tracking through the book of Acts and watching the very first church, the very first Christians as, they, as Jesus released them to go and um, not only to um, preach the gospel, but also to live by the gospel and, and what that means. So today we're, we're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 4. And um, Justin didn't know this, but he talked about Peter, and that's who is actually the center of our our story today is a guy named Peter. And so we're going to jump in and look at at this passage. This passage is actually a continuation. It's kind of all a continuation because it's a letter, um, same book. But it's a really a continuation of the story that we read last week. Last week, whether you're here or not here, um, it was about a, a man who was lame from birth. And Peter and John were walking in the temple of Jerusalem. And this man who was lame from birth, um, begging, 
uh, was asking for money, and Peter said to him, he said, Money I do not have, but I, what I do have I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Rise up and be healed. And the man rose up and was able to walk, although he had been lame since he was a kid or from birth. He was able to walk, and, and he was completely healed. And there was this huge, basically caused a huge commotion. A huge commotion. And uh, this is kind of the ripple effect of the commotion. You see, when God shows up and God does big stuff, there's always a ripple effect. Um, whenever uh, miracles happen and whenever God does things in people's life, there's always a ripple effect. It always affects other people. And this is a ripple effect of what's happening after this miracle. So let's jump in and read Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 1 and 2. It says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard... And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, just to clarify, the priests and the captain in the temple of the garden, these are politicians. And just, it's not the same kind of priest you think of today, although they did rule the church. The center of rule and politics was the church. And so, although in Rome they had government buildings, the center of of political power and rule was uh, was the temple. It was was the the main church in, in Jerusalem. And these people were the same people who were responsible for just uh, a couple months ago crucifying uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So here were people who, again, just crucified Jesus. Now there's a ruckus starting. Jesus, there, there, people have been talking. This guy, Jesus, is back from the dead. And, um, and now his followers are, are going around saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And now he walks, Peter and John, walks right into the temple. This is kind of like walking into the White House, okay? And seeing a lame man on this, at the steps, healing them. And the politicians were greatly disturbed. Why were they disturbed? Because they were helping people? No, because they were teaching the people. Um, it is oftentimes very true, and I'm not saying this is true of all politicians, um, because I, I, do, I, I love many of them, but oftentimes politicians care less about people and more about power, and that's exactly what these politicians um, uh, were concerned about. Things don't change. This was 2,000 years ago, and uh, the story doesn't change, does it? And so here, here they're very greatly disturbed. And so verse 3, here's what they do to Peter. It says, They seized Peter and John, because, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they didn't know what to do, and they just put them in jail. What did they put them in jail for? For talking about Jesus, for healing someone. And uh, again, their political power was threatened, and they didn't know what to do with them, so they just put them in jail. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now we had learned in in, uh, the chapter before, actually chapter 2, that there was about 2,000 of them who were believers at that point, 2,000 men. And now it's saying they're up to about 5,000. This healing has more than doubled the amount of people who are believing in the resurrected Jesus. So, so there's a pretty good mass of people who are gathered and who are believing and worshiping and talking about Jesus. In spite of the drama and the political threats, uh, the people believe anyway because they saw what happened. And here's what happens. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was uh, Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the other of the high priest's family. These are all just more politicians. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Here's their question for, uh, to Peter and John. By what power or what name do you do this? Now, this is kind of a setup because they know what he's been talking about. They know Jesus. They want him to proclaim Jesus because this is the guy they just crucified. And so if he says Jesus, then he's guilty of, of treason in their eyes because here's the guy they've already deemed um, the bad guy. And so if they say Jesus, then they're, they're guilty. So uh, what, does, what is Peter going to do? Is he going to back down? Is he going to say, um, I just did it in my own power. It just was a miracle. I have this super shot. I have this antiviral serum that helped him. I'm just a magical doctor. Um, there's a lot of things he could have said to gotten off the hook. Now, he's already been put in jail, and they're pretty angry at him, right? Um, but Peter, despite threats and despite in the face of very powerful politicians that literally hold his life in their hands... What does Peter do? He, with courage, stands up and, and speaks. And, and listen to what he says. He, licks, he chooses to lick the battery. Good job, Connor. He chooses to lick the battery. He chooses to do in the middle of fear. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've got a Bible, underline that filled with the Holy Spirit part because that's important. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people. In other words, you who are the governing body. President, Congress, whoever it is, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, that's what they're accusing of, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And you see that's in quotations. Um, He's actually quoting an Old Testament passage that was a prophecy about what Jesus would be. That Jesus would be the stone that the builders rejected, meaning the temple, uh, the the Jewish uh, leaders and the, the people who were the leaders of the law that day would reject him. He would become the very cornerstone or the capstone, the most important piece of the whole of the whole puzzle. And he says, you you have rejected him. Or so, so he quotes that passage, and I lost where I am. He says, then know this, verse 10, you and all the people of Israel, well, I already said that, sorry. Uh, verse 12, uh, salvation is found. And listen to how bold this is. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, which we must be saved. Pretty bold words. He looks at the face of these leaders and he says, um, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is Lord, he's risen from the dead. And he says, and there is no other name under, under heaven which you need to be saved. In other words, in just that one sentence, he, he questioned everything they believed. And he told them what they believed was wrong. And he told them that the power that they hold in themselves is not real. That the true power is only in Jesus and that their political power is only, is only just false, that they have no true lordship, that Jesus is the true Lord, he totally insults them, right? And he says, not only that, but this Jesus who you killed, he's back from the dead. 
I believe in him, and it's by his name and by his power that this man was, was healed. And by the way, the prophecy of the Old Testament that you believe in, this, you are the one, this prophecy was about you. You're the ones that rejected him, and he's become the capstone. Pretty bold, in your face, in, right in the face, and before people who had the power to kill him. Had the power to politically uh, destroy him. Talk about courage. Um, pretty amazing. So here's, here's this next verse, and I want you to pay close attention to verse 13. This is where I want to kind of settle on today and talk about for a while. Well, here's what he says. Uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, listen to what they realized. And, and they and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These were unschooled, ordinary guys. Yet they saw in them something powerful and bold and something that people did not do. Now, it's not your every day that someone stands up in face of a politician and, and before lots of people um, tells them that what they believe is wrong and um, that their power really is, is not the true power, that it's, it's God. And so... This was, a, this was a big deal. They saw the extreme courage. They saw that, these, that Peter and John, they didn't have Ph.D. attached to their name. They were not politicians. They were not of wealthy families of means. And it was important to be from certain families during that time. And they weren't from any of the important families. They just were normal guys. They didn't have reverend on the, end, on the back of their name or on the front of their name. Um, like when I was ordained, I got the title uh, reverend. Um, kind of funny story. When I was at my ordination, which is where they make me a reverend, I stand before the church and the, the body of the church uh, makes me a reverend. I did that at my home church in Florida. I know a lady came up to me. She probably was in her 80 years old. And if you're, if you're 80, I'm sorry I called you old. It's still young, 80. You've got a lot more to go. Um, but this lady was probably 80 years old. She goes up to my wife and says, how does it feel sleeping with the reverend? You know? And uh, my wife said, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's not so bad, which I think she was being generous. But, um, you know, so it was, you know, it was kind of, kind of funny. And, uh, but anyway, so I have the title reverend. But these guys, they don't, they don't have any kind of titles, no special schooling. They didn't go to cemetery, I mean seminary. They, um, they are... Uh, they're, they're just normal guys, but they had been with Jesus. So here's, here, here's what they do. These guys, as, as, he, as he is proclaiming to them that, that they're wrong, they, they kind of talk and they kind of get amongst themselves and say, what are we going to do with these guys, Peter and John? And they try to figure out, how, what, you know, how, what are we going to do with this guy? Are we going to crucify him like we crucified Jesus? Are we, gonna, we can't just hand him over to the people because the people like him. That people are praising God and praising Jesus. So they basically come to the conclusion they can't do anything, that their hands are tied because politically all the people are with Peter and John. And so they go, well, there's nothing that we can do. So here's what they do. They tell them, you need to be quiet and stop talking about Jesus. So, so that's their threats. They just say, you need to stop talking about Jesus, all right, and don't do that anymore. And um, this is the original censorship, right? I mean, this is censorship classic censorship. You're not allowed to talk about this because you're offending us and you're offending other people. I mean, there are a lot of people who believe other things in this. And here you are. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Because we believe something different. We believe if you follow the law, 
that you're going to heaven and that you're right before God. You have to follow all these rules uh, and you come and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's very offensive. Don't say things like that to other people. So that's what they say in verse 19. Here's how Peter and John reply. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And what had they seen and they had heard? They had heard the amazing stories of Jesus. They had walked with him. They had seen him heal people. And, and now, um, since Jesus had, was gone, now they themselves were seeing the power of Jesus continued to be lived out and worked, even though Jesus was gone. This is huge, and don't miss this, um, because Jesus had left, and there was, we talked about this last week. There was no more healer, right? The great physician had gone. He had ascended back to heaven. Now it's just the people. They're left up to themselves. So who's going to heal people? Who's going who's to do these great wonders and great signs that Jesus did? Well, now the, the people of God are. And now we see Peter performing the very things that Jesus did, healing someone, and he's saying, listen, not, not only did Jesus do that, but now the power of Jesus is also in us through the Holy Spirit, uh, which is empowering them to be bold and share uh, the gospel. And today I want to kind of sit on this idea of courage and the idea of the gospel and being able for us as, as people to be able to um, have courage to speak the gospel to each other, speak the gospel to those who don't know it, and also speak the gospel to ourselves because I believe we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others um, all the time. And so whenever we talk about a gospel-centered life, we, we want to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, have it fill us so much that it comes out at every, at every breath, at every conversation. Um, I, a couple years ago, I guess it was probably 2010, so that's like four years ago, I actually um, showed you guys a message from a guy named Craig Rochelle who talked about courage, very different passage, very different message. Uh, it was a passage about uh, Daniel and courage. But he, made, he said this statement, and I just want to remind us of it because it was a really good statement. And it says this. If you've got notes, you can write this down. This is really uh, profound. It says this. The path to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. The path to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. Now, um, the other day, this, this week, early, I think it was on Tuesday, um, I was in my home office and I was working and I hear screaming, screams. Ah! I hear my wife screaming and I hear my little girl screaming. And I thought, man, somebody is you know, hands got chopped off in the blender. Something horrible had happened. A couple kids ran in. They said, Dad, come quick. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, Dad, we need you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Screaming. So I run down the hall, and my wife is kind of like up on the, the counter and in the kitchen, and the dog is in there going crazy, and the cat is in there. And I see this little black thing kind of being being tossed around in the room, and it's a little, it, it wasn't a mouse, actually it was a mole, but it looks like a mouse, just has a little bit of a long nose, uh, and it's just a little little furry animal, and I thought everyone was, you know, was they had seen, you know, something horrible, but it was just a little mouse, and, and I picked the mouse, or the little mole up, and I carried it over to my wife, and she used my full name, which is never a good sign, and she referenced my life insurance policy, and... <laughs> 
Um, so, so I backed away and, uh, cause she said it was going to be enacted if I got any closer. And, and so it was, it was kind of funny, but I, I'm not talking about that kind of fear that, although that fear has some, some, some good, um, we can learn some things from that because when we see things like that and we get afraid, we scream it, she felt cornered and she felt like she had to get away and she felt paralyzed and she's like, ah, it's a horrible mouse. It could potentially you know, touch me. And I don't know what, I mean, what's it going to do to you? You know what I mean? So it's not like it's going to bite you or hurt you. And some, I guess it could bite you, but wouldn't really hurt. So, but, but it, it, it crippled her, but oftentimes fear can, can cripple us. And what I want to do is I just want to identify some common fears that we all face, especially when it comes to talking about Jesus or, or when it comes to sharing the gospel or even applying the own gospel to our own life. Here's, here's a couple things. Number one, uh, is, this is a, a big one, is the fear of inadequacy. If you want to write that down, the fear of an inadequacy. Uh, let me explain. The other day I was having a, a, a bad day. I was a little grumpier than usual, and um, which my kids would tell you I'm always grumpy, but grumpier than usual, okay? And, and I, I, I don't know, my kids are being crazy, and I, I think I yelled at some of the kids, and I, went, I was like, I'm out of here. I went off to Starbucks to try to get some work done, and... Um, and when I was at Starbucks, Starburst, Starbucks, Starbucks, they had this long table that, that people kind of share, and it was pretty packed. So I'm sitting next to a, a bunch of different people, and I'm kind of working and um, working on my sermon right after my yelling at the kids. And there was a, a lady sitting beside me, and I just was trying to be polite. And I just said hi, and I'm continuing to work. And she, you know, we we had a little bit of a conversation, and. Um, and because her daughter was there and she was a cheerleader or something anyway. And she asked me the, the bad question that I, that I don't like for people to ask me when I'm in public. And that's, what do you do? And, you know, because I'm sitting in the middle of Starbucks during the day. So obviously I don't have a real job. Um, so she's like, well, you know, what, what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, um, and, and I, it's a, it was like a hesitation. And I didn't want to say I was a pastor. And you want to know why? Because I... I was grumpy, and I just got through yelling at my kids. I was feeling pretty inadequate. And here I go sit in Starbucks and tell a lady I'm a pastor and, you know, I try to be nice, yet I'm yelling at my kids at home. Can any of you relate to that feeling? Maybe you can relate to that, um, a, a feeling of inadequacy that, you know, here, here we are. Maybe you feel inadequate today because you just got through cussing out your husband or, or your wife in the car or yelling at your kids and, you know, you're speeding, you cut somebody off and you're driving way too fast and we're going to get to church bleeping, you know, bleep. And then you get to church and you're like, okay, now we're at church. And, you know, and then you start to feel in that. And, and some of you are laughing because you, you know that happens. Um, and you're, you're feeling a little inadequate. And you're like, how, how can I even talk about Jesus or, or, or pray or talk to others about Jesus when, when I do stupid stuff like that? Listen, here's a great opportunity for you to preach the gospel to yourself. Because the reality is, is whenever you begin to feel inadequate, you for, you're, what you're doing is you're forgetting the truth of the gospel. You're forgetting what the gospel is all about. So the gospel is that Jesus came and saved you. Not because of your own works, your own goodness, right? But because of his works and his goodness, what he did. He didn't save you because you were good. He saved you because you were bad and needed saving. And he knows that you're going to continue to do some bad. And you're going to continue to mess up. And so that feeling of inadequacy is only from Satan. That is only from the the pit of hell. It's a lie of Satan that allows you to believe that 
because you have sinned, because, because you've disobeyed God, now no longer do you have the right or the authority to talk about God. And that's just not true. In fact, what it does is it doesn't, it doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies you to talk about the grace of God. Right? Because now you're a, a great, you've experienced the grace of God. You're like, look, I can talk about the grace of God because I've had a lot of it. Right? I'm a sinner and I've done a lot of sin. I've been pretty good at that. And so I can talk about how good God is because of how good God has been to me. And so if you've ever had that feeling of inadequacy, you need to understand that is a, is a lie. It's from the lie from the pit of hell. And you need to cast it out and say, if you have that feeling, this is, this is me not truly believing what the gospel really is. I'm forgetting what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus loved me and he, 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 he gave his life for me for exactly how it was. While you were a sinner, Christ loved you. Not after you did good. Not expecting you to do good. But while you were a sinner, he loved you and gave himself up for you. And so when you have that fear of inadequacy, you remind yourself of the gospel. The other one is um, the idea of, of the fear of failure. Um, and some of you, you, you feel like if you talk about Jesus, someone may, re, you know, say, well, I'm, I'm not interested or whatever. And so you, you might feel like you're a failure. Maybe some of you have an idea of a ministry that's kind of been burdened in your heart. You're like, I want to start a Bible study in my school or, or I want to, you know, start this thing with the guys at work and start uh, maybe a, a devil time with them or just praying with a couple of guys at work and have an opportunity. And you go, what if? But what if it fails? What if it doesn't quite work? Or maybe you, you're wanting to change jobs and go into ministry. I don't know. And you just feel like, what if, what if I fail? Listen, you're not believing in the gospel. Because there is no such thing as, as, as failing um, when it comes to the gospel. Because it's not dependent upon you. There's nothing that you have to do to earn it. Right? There's nothing that you have to do to, to, to do it good enough. I mean, it's the gospel. The good news of Jesus has already been. Jesus has already done everything he needs to do. You don't have to add to it. And so you have to remind yourself and preach the gospel to yourself. Hey, I don't have to add anything to what Jesus has done. It's already done. I don't have to be better. Or I'd, I can fail because um, that's why God loves me. He loves me in the midst of my failure. And so we fear sometimes failure. We also fear one of the biggest ones is probably rejection, personal rejection, dealing with hurts that someone might reject us that if we share Jesus with someone who's close to us they might turn away with turn away from us they might choose not to be our friend or they might um, fire us or they might they might um, cause us not to be invited to to that their circle of their circle of friends and uh, maybe there's a mom's group and, and if you talk about Jesus in that mom's group you know you're going to be kicked out of that mom's group I don't know what it might would would be um, and so so oftentimes we have the fear of rejection, but remember, um, Jesus took all of the rejection for us. He was fully rejected, wasn't he? He was, he was fully rejected so that even if we are rejected, we can rejoice in it. We have to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and say, listen, even if I am rejected, even if people don't like me, people may cast me out. People may fire me. People may reject me. People may choose not to be my friend anymore. But even if they do, you know what? Jesus took way more rejection than that. He was rejected by everyone, by his own followers. And he took, even though I had rejected him, he loved me and forgave me. And so I'm willing to face whatever rejection because of how the gospel has changed me. Remember, the path to your greatest potential is oftentimes through your greatest fears. 
What are your greatest fears? Do you, do you fear just that inadequacy? Do you fear failure? Do you fear rejection? Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about how, how we can overcome these fears. And, and I want to show you just a key point in this. It's farther down in this passage. Um, but after Peter and John, they, they, they leave the temple courts and they, they get out of jail and they're praising God and they're, they're meeting with the Christian believers and, and, and they all kind of get together and they're rejoicing and, and they're encouraging each other. And listen to what happens in verse 31. It says this, After they prayed, you can underline that, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They said, listen, we're, we're all, many of them were maybe afraid because the politicians were making threats. They had just threatened, don't you dare talk about Jesus. Or what? We just crucified Jesus. We'll crucify you too, right? And here they're making threats saying, um, don't you dare talk about him and tell all these people. They're not allowed to talk about Jesus either. But it says they came together and they did what? They, they prayed. We're going to pray for each other. And we're going to say, God, would you give us boldness and courage to preach the gospel, that we would not be afraid of threats, but we would fear you more than we would fear man. And this, this is so cool. It says the place where they were meeting was shaken. Interesting. And the power of God literally just shook the place. Isn't that cool? And it says that who was filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a three-letter word. It's very important. Who was filled with the Holy Spirit? All. Not the good Christians. Not the people who believed enough. Not the people who had reverend on their name. But all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of them spoke the word of God boldly. This was, this was a miracle not not just by Peter and John. And sometimes we can kind of classify and think all the good stuff in the Bible happened by those, those famous super spiritual people in the Bible like Peter. And No, 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 no. It happened by all the regular folks, the people like you and me, the, the, the Joe Schmoes of the day, the ordinary and the unschooled. A couple of things um, that I, I want to encourage you as, as we call ourselves to have courage in the gospel. Number one is this, is that our faith is to be public, not to be private. And we live in a day and age where we're increasingly encouraged to keep our faith private because we say things like faith and school don't mix. Faith and government don't mix. Faith and our social community don't mix. Faith and Facebook don't mix because if you put anything about your faith and people are just going, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a spew of just vomit crap. I hate Facebook. Um, you know, if you say anything on, on Facebook, people will respond and, you know, and it just becomes this, you know, it's social media disaster. And so, so this, this, this idea that faith is to be uh, private is very common and is encouraging our culture. And we, we hear it all the time uh, in, in, in the news and, and, um, and it's pushed everywhere. But I, I just want to encourage you that this is, this is not, our faith is not private. It is to be public. And, and what's so interesting, and, and um, Justin talked about it, is that Peter himself, he denied Jesus three times. This, this is the same guy that when Jesus was on the cross was denying Jesus, saying, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. But yet somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
this guy who was, who was afraid, afraid of threats, afraid for his life, stood up and said, I'm not going to let it be private. I'm going to make it public. And so the interesting thing about um, this is, this is not, you know, this is not a, it's not like rejection and persecution may not happen to you, especially even in our day in society. You might be persecuted for, for being public about your faith. And you know what happened to Peter? He actually was crucified just like Jesus. In fact, he was crucified upside down. Did you know that? And many of the other uh, um, disciples were crucified and killed as well. Um, John was not. He's the only guy that lived the longest. And um, he, he was able to es- escape it. But uh, Peter was crucified and hung upside down. It's kind of like not a very good door-to-door salesman would say, Hey, if you take this product, you'll explode. Right? All right, so I know this is not a very good sales pitch. Go talk about Jesus and, and you'll be persecuted. But the reality is, is that that happened to, to Peter. But here's, here's the, the big idea is that somebody went public for you. If you're a Christian here today, somebody went public for you. You didn't know. Maybe, maybe you, if you think about it for a second, who was that person that talked to you about Jesus? I bet all of you, if you're a Christian here, you know. You know instantly that person who went public for you. And you're here today because someone was bold enough to take their faith from being private to being public. For me, I know very well who it was. Not only was it my mom, it was my mother who, who loved God very much. I had a friend who was very bold. His name was Philip. I've talked about him before. He's a pastor in my home church now. And he went very public with his faith when we were teenagers. And because of his influence, because of him preaching the gospel to me, I gave my life to Jesus um, just out of middle school. And, and my, my mom continued to encourage me and, and follow up with me. And it was his willingness to be public about his faith. Was he mocked? Yeah. Did he not get to date all the super hot girls who weren't Christians? No, he didn't. Why? Because he was, he was the Christian nerd who a lot of people rejected. Um, but he was incredible because he was bold and public about his faith. Number two, the second thing is not only is faith public, private. We need to be... Um, we need to be prepared. Um, you, you think about this, even the situation with Peter and John, they were walking into the temple and I, I don't think they prepped on their calendar that day. Hey, listen, I'm going to heal a guy. It's going to cause a big commotion. I'm going to be put in jail. I'm going to be put before the leaders, the same guys who crucified Jesus. And I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to create a sermon. I've got to write my sermon down. He didn't, he didn't do that. This was off the cuff, right? But was he prepared? Absolutely he was prepared. He was prepared for the moment because he took advantage of the opportunities that were there. He took advantage of the, of the ministry opportunities. Here's, here's the reality is every day all of us have ministry opportunities. But you know what? Most people are very unprepared for the opportunities in front of them, aren't they? If you're in, if you're in school right now, uh, and you went into your teacher, and your teacher said, hey, listen, this year we're going to study, but we don't have to take any tests this year. And so at the end of the year, as long as you've studied, and you tell me you've studied, then you'll all get an A. How many people would study? None. None. Why? Because there's no tests, right? There's no tests. And then, the, you know what, you remember this when you were in school? You remember the worst? What are the worst? Pop quizzes. Right? Who loves those? All right, kids, take out your pencil and papers. We're going to take a pop quiz. And you're like, ah. You know, you didn't do your homework or whatever. And you're like, I can't do a pop quiz. And she asked you questions because you, you, didn't, you weren't prepared. Now, every day as a Christian is like a pop quiz. 
Every day there are opportunities for us to share the gospel, be witness to the gospel, display the gospel in different opportunities and areas. For some, it might be like Peter just taking advantage of a guy who was lame. And you might say, hey, I want to pray for you that you be healed. Uh, There might be somebody in your office that says, hey, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Or my father-in-law or my mother-in-law just passed away or something tragic happened in the family. Or, hey, I'm getting a divorce. And that is a pop quiz. Be prepared and and know, hey, when that happens, I'm going to approach that person and say, hey, can I just have an opportunity to pray for you? And talk to you about how you can have hope in the midst of a horrible situation. You know how you have hope? You don't just, you don't just toughen it up. You don't just say, hey, we're going to get through it together. You don't just say, we're, we're going to be good enough. No, you say you get through it because you have a father in, in heaven who loves you so much. He sent you Jesus to save you. And although tragedy happens, there is a savior And so you give them real hope, not fake hope like everybody gives each other, right? It's going to be okay. No, it's not. And everybody does that, right? Doesn't everybody love to do that? It's going to be okay. But sometimes it's not, right? That's that's false hope. Don't give false hope. So you know what? It's difficult. But let me tell you somebody who is real hope. It is Jesus. And that's how we become public about our faith and be prepared, have an opportunity to actually um, begin to think about what you might say to people in those situations. Here's what Jesus said um, to his disciples. He was walking with his disciples in a, in a foreign town. He was in Samaria and he looked around and he was brokenhearted because he saw all the people that needed help. And you remember what he said? He, he said this, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, what did he say? Few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Meaning there's, there's a whole lot of people who need help, but the people who are actually prepared to help and encourage them and give them the gospel are few. And the idea is that we would be people who are prepared, not, not saints just to be saints, but saints as soldiers. People who are prepared, ready for battle, ready to share the gospel with those who need it the most. Number three, you need to see just as Peter, as the people saw, that the Holy Spirit will empower you. This is not something that you have to do or have to be worried about doing on your own strength and good knowledge and your own smarts and skill and ability. If you have the power of God in you, which if you're a Christian, it was given to all, uh, all the believers, not to just specific ones. If you're a believer, you, you, you believe in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the opportunity to be filled by the Holy Spirit and been given the courage to share the gospel in a powerful way. But here's the unique thing about courage. Does courage come before you begin to speak or after you begin to speak? Let me ask that question again. If you're in a situation and you're going to you need courage and you've got to speak boldly about, boldly about the gospel, do you think courage usually comes before or after you begin to speak? Which one? It usually always comes after, doesn't it? It doesn't always come after. I wish it came before. But most all the times, it takes that initial step for us to kind of step out over the edge to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to begin the conversation and begin speaking that allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. The Holy Spirit will speak on your behalf for you. And even if you fumble around and you don't say it very well and you're like, Jesus, I'm not really sure. And you're not even really sure how to say it. God uses your, uses that 
and uses your inability and your insecurities and your lack of communication skills, and he uses all that for his glory because he sees your courage of the gospel, and he will empower you with the Holy Spirit um, to do that. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take your faith public, uh, to be prepared and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you and pray and say, God, I, I pray that you would empower me, that I would not do this on my own, but that, that I would be one to speak with courage because we live in a day and age where it's becoming increasingly more and more hostile to speak about Jesus. But I would encourage you to be public and be willing to take whatever comes in, in, order, in order to do that. Um, couple of things I want to show you. I just want to talk about three areas I feel like we need to apply this uh, the most in our life. Number one is where I see it not happen very much, and even myself I'm guilty of this, but I see here in the story that we, we really need to be bold and courageous in the gospel to those who are leaders above us. And here's, here's what I mean. There are plenty of people who are above us, right? We have bosses. We have, uh, if you're not just a boss, if, maybe you're the boss of everyone, but you also have politicians above you. You have people in power over you. And, and oftentimes it's easier for us to speak the gospel to people who are below us. But I want to encourage you like Peter and John did. They spoke the gospel to people who are above us, people who have power over us. Okay? The reason why we don't do that is because, because we speak to someone who has power over us, we get more afraid that because they have power over us, there's more they can do to us. They could fire us, right? They could, they could move us out of the club. They could reject us. They could, um, I don't know, do something to us. They, and, and so if we speak boldly to those who are leaders over us, again, I think we're going to see the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit move. And I think that's an area where we just need to be encouraged. I would encourage you. To get involved politically. I, I think so many Christians today, especially people believers, um, b- because of fear, because of fear of rejection, failure, inadequacy, whatever, they, they prefer not to either talk about politics or get involved in politics because let's just let them do what they do and we'll just do what we do and hope it all works out. How's it working for us? It's not, right? Because... The political environment in America is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly anti-Christian, right? It's okay for you to be everything but Christian in America. And that will continue to happen as long as the people of God are afraid to speak up to leaders and be bold. And again, I don't, I don't mean you need to go rant on Facebook and say, and say political things because all that does is just... All the riffraff come out and just spew vomit, and it just becomes a nightmare. That doesn't really do anything or create change. Instead, you get involved politically. You run for city council. You, you get involved in, in any kind of political organization. Some of you need to be politicians. Some of you kids, teenagers, need to grow up and be involved in politics and not just be a person who serves, uh, who serves others, but you need to serve others in a political way so that we have people who are bold with the gospel and, and in politics. Um, and so that you can help lead change from the front, be willing to do it from up there. The other, the other area that I think we need to oftentimes are most challenged with is the people who are our peers, the people who are close to us, our friends, and um, people who are especially who are friends of ours that we know specifically are not Christians. And we oftentimes hide Jesus from them because we don't want them to know too much about us because we're afraid that we will break that relationship with them. Now, I don't think you need to be rude to someone, but be, be public and let someone know that you're a Christian 
And, and I don't mean just let them know you go to church. And that's what a lot of people do is they, they qualify, hey, I go to this church as, as what they reveal. And, and I would say that's not nearly as important as what Jesus has done in your life. Listen, the church is important. And the fact that you call it the well, that's not all that important. The fact that you attend here is not nearly as important as the Savior who saved you. And that's the person you need to talk about. Don't talk about me and my sermons, okay? All right, because they're probably not that good anyway. But you need to talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life, all right? And talk about how good he is and how he's changing you and your family. And again, that's where our greatest fear becomes that inadequacy. But when you preach the gospel to ourselves, overcome that inadequacy and, and speak, to, um, speak to our friends. That, and the last one I would say is the most difficult, the most, most difficult is your family. It's really, really hard to preach the gospel to your family. It's really hard as a dad sometimes to preach the gospel to my kids, to preach the gospel to my wife, to, to, to pray with them, to, um, to pray for them. And here's, here's why. You want to know why it's so hard to preach the gospel to your family? Why? Because they know you the most, right? They know you the best. All right, here's a quick story. The other day, uh, several weeks ago, um, I dropped something and it spilled everywhere and it broke. And I said, what in the H-E double hockey sticks? All right. And I, I got upset and, and my, you know, and I was frustrated and I used that word, not as the place that it is, but as a, as a curse word. Okay. And so I'm admitting to you, Ooh, the pastor, he said a bad word. Be quiet. You do it all the time. All right. So, um, so here I did. I said this in my house, and and then I was talking to my my older son later, and I was encouraging him to do something. He goes, "Dad, you know you said a bad word," and I'm like, "You know, I'm like, shut up, kid." You know, <laughs> and so um, so he's like putting it. He's kind of putting it back in my face. Like, don't tell me what to do because you do bad things too, right? And so our family can do that with us. And that can be our fear with our family is like, how, could, how dare you t- talk to me about how I should live and turn my life over to Jesus or praying about things when you yourself, you know, are, are, are living inadequately. And that's where I had to say, you know what, son, I need God's grace just like you do. I need his grace desperately. And just like you need his grace, we, I need it desperately too. And just because I sin doesn't mean it's a license for you to sin. So get to work, kid. <laughs> All right? So that's kind of what I did. But um, let, me, let me read to you Romans 1.16. And I read to you in the very beginning of this series that this was going to be our theme verse. I want to come back to it. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So you can preach the gospel to your family because, hey, I'm, I'm not ashamed because it's the very power that is saving me, that is saving me every day because I need it every day. I can speak to my friends because it is the power, it is the grace that I need. It is saving me every day, and I'm not ashamed. I can speak to those above me because I'm, I'm not ashamed of what it has done for me, and I'm not going to bend to other people's false beliefs and say it's okay for you to believe falsely. But I'm going to stand up and say, no, there is something called a truth. And there is only one name that you can be saved. And it is the name of Jesus and only Jesus. Let's be bold together. Let's be courageous together. Let's not be ashamed together. I want to close um, and pray for boldness today and for courage for each other. And just like the New Testament church did, 
Peter and John, they gathered together and they prayed and it said that they were given boldness and courage. Um, Justin, you guys can come on up and get ready for worship. But here's, uh, they're going to start playing. But I'm going to do this. This is going to freak you out. And I've been pushing you more and more to do this. I'm going to have you pray for each other. Okay.